0: Good? Okay. All right, welcome everyone. Uh, this is Wes Anderson. Any Wes Anderson fans out there? Okay. If you're not, I don't know what you'll think of this. <laughs> so, like a true Wes Anderson film, there's no real plot or outline to my talk. I thought that was very fitting. Uh, it's more of a pastiche of themes uh, related around adulting and what I call a theology of adulting. Uh, also, thanks to uh, the organizers, thanks to David Zoll, who turns out is a huge Wes Anderson fan. Uh, what the cuss, right? If you know Wes Anderson, you get that joke. <laughs> uh, also to uh, Mark Koshman, my colleague at Accordia St. Paul. Uh, if you don't know about Accordia University St. Paul, you should, it's a wonderful place. So I'm a Wes Anderson aficionado. Uh, I hope you are too, or at least open to it if you're not. Uh, this might make you a fan. This presentation flows like a film of Wes Anderson, and in Wes Anderson films, there's no plot, just like there's often not a plot of growing up. Uh, Adulting is a participle, and if you know New Testament Greek, you know participles are tricky, a present ongoing reality, and that's a good way to look at adulting in our culture and in Wes Anderson. Uh, From... Rushmore to Asteroid City, Wes Anderson's films feature the theme of adulting with grace. Here's a verse to start with, 1 Corinthians 13 verses 11 through 12. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in an enigma. I think this verse really fits Wes Anderson. He's one of the most creative, perceptive, and evocative writers and directors, and auteur for sure, making movies today. And don't spoil it for me at lunch, I haven't seen the new ones on Netflix yet. I was too busy uh, this half of term. But they're out, and they look great. He has invented an original visual aesthetic. We'll see a couple clips, hopefully, that work here. He playfully combines past, we could say nostalgia, and possibility whimsy in quixotic attempts at adulting and finding love. And this presentation about Wes Anderson is about that theology of adulting. You know, theology is about making sense about God. Adulting is about making sense... About life. Christians know that to make sense of life you need God, and adulting calls for the grace of God under pressure. And Wes Anderson guides us in thinking theologically about the challenges of adulting, often in a seemingly adolescent world. So I teach philosophy. I gotta throw this in. We'll start with some philosophy here. And you might be wondering why I'm presenting on Wes Anderson. Uh, If you look me up, I publish on Late Medieval uh, Studies, and no one does look me up, by the way. (laughs) And if you're looking for Renaissance Platonism in the 15th century, well, you can buy a new book on Brill out right now. But no one can afford Brill Academic Publishing. I discovered Wes Anderson when I was in college. I watched Rushmore, uh, and the movie changed my life. Uh, And Wes Anderson has stayed with me throughout my struggles with adulting. And I should confess that I'm adulting. (laughs) I'm still trying to figure it out. And Wes Anderson films have been with me the whole time. And often when I'm depressed, I turn on a Wes Anderson movie. And the great thing about writing a book project on Wes Anderson is my research is watching Rushmore for the 51st time. It's wonderful. It's sort of almost been therapeutic, cathartic for me. So I want to start, though, with some philosophy. That's a little bit of my background academically. And I think it fits Wes Anderson. There's a lot going on in his films. Philosophy, of course, is love of wisdom. Socrates was old, right? And yet he taught and learned from the young. The Socratic method of knowing and unknowing is a kind of philosophy of adulting. It's almost like Socrates is the true kid. Enlightenment, or a time to grow up, or the pain and promise of adulting, I call it, that's from Immanuel Kant. And I'm waiting for Wes Anderson to make a period piece about great philosophers like in the Enlightenment. That'd be a lot of fun. But in his piece, he talks about growing up as part of the Enlightenment. It's a famous work, Dare to Know, he says. And Michel Foucault, a postmodern, philosopher, thinks about what Kant says in terms of adulting, adulting and enlightenment. For Foucault, he says Kant indicates right away that the way out that characterizes enlightenment process that releases us from immaturity or tutelage, and by immaturity he means a certain state of our will that makes us accept someone else's authority to lead us and guide us, leads us in areas where the use of reason is called for. And yet, as Foucault underlines here, there's also an attitude of love and desire. And thinking back on Kant's text, he says, I wonder whether we may not envision modernity rather as an attitude, rather than a period of history that you teach in class. And by attitude, I mean a mode of relating to contemporary reality, a voluntary choice or choices made by certain people trying to reach maturity, a way of thinking and feeling, a way too of acting and behaving that at the same time marks a relation of belonging and presents itself as a task. A bit like, no doubt, Foucault says, what the Greeks called an ethos, or what I think of as a Wes Anderson film. And Foucault wonders if we were ever going to reach this adulthood, but the process is the fun part of it. Charles Taylor picks up on these ideas in a secular age. This is about adulting in a secular age. If you don't know Charles Taylor's great work, uh, it probably needs to be edited, (laughs) a guy, but it's a wonderful work just to dive into. And he famously calls our age an age of authenticity. It appears, he says, that something has happened in the last half century, perhaps even less, that has profoundly altered the conditions of belief in our societies. Today, Taylor writes, one can only connect with God through passion. For those who feel this intensity of the passion becomes a major virtue, well worth some lack of accuracy in theological formulation, and in an age, he says, dominated by disengaged reason, or we can put it in terms of fake news, this virtue comes to seem more and more crucial. Or here's another one. As a Lutheran, I've got to point out Soren Kierkegaard. He actually talks about three spheres of existence, or adulting even. You start with the ascetical, love, desire, leading to boredom. You get to the ethical, the next stage, family, marriage, order, reason, loyalty, going to work. And finally, for Kierkegaard, you take the leap into the absurd Monday morning, making sense of the flux of life. I was fascinated to find all of these thinkers thinking about adulthood. Maybe it's part of my own process of growing up. And perhaps the greatest midlife crisis ever written, Dante's Divine Comedy, puts it this way, Virgil, who's the guru to Dante, says, "'Tis liberty he seeks, how dear a thing." And it's liberty with love in Dante's Divine Comedy. And like a Wes Anderson film, they don't take themselves too seriously. They usually have sort of a happy ending. There's authenticity There's the ethos of maturity in an immature age. Take all this with scripture too. Scripture challenges us to grow up, be mature, also be like a kid. (laughs) To be responsible, work for a living it says, to be humble. Of course, grace under pressure proves that we are irresponsible to God, And grace under pressure produces responsibility to others. And I think this is a good way to approach Wes Anderson, too, and life. We're called to embrace the changing seasons of life, not to run away and grow weary, as Ecclesiastes might put it. Still trying to reach adulthood in Christ, which will always point and stretch beyond this life, won't it? It always will. A full adulthood. Well, Wes Anderson does this. I'd like to show two clips, and then we'll move into a pastiche moving from philosophy to some of his themes uh, revolving around adulthood or maybe images and motifs. The first one uh, follows this one. I like that one. Uh, but the first one uh, is from Moonrise Kingdom. How many of you have seen Moonrise Kingdom? It's a great film. Uh, This won't spoil it necessarily, uh, but in the film, the kids act like adults, and the adults act like children. The kids actually do the right thing and get married, and we'll see this scene, and yet they have really no idea what it means. Uh, And this is a great theme of adulting and the paradox of being like a child and yet seeking to be mature. So if we could see the first one. I can't offer you a legally binding union. It won't hold up in the state, the county, or frankly any courtroom in the world due to your age, lack of a license, and failure to get parental consent. But the ritual does carry a very important moral weight within yourselves. You can't enter into this lightly. Look into my eyes. Do you love each other? Yes, we do. But think about what I'm saying. Are you sure you're ready for this? Yes, we are. They're not listening to me. Let me rephrase it. We're in a hurry. Are you chewing... Spit out the gum, sister. In fact, everybody. (laughs) I don't like the snappy attitude. This is the most important decision you've made in your lives. Now go over by that trampoline and talk it through before you give me another quick answer. For <sighs> sure. Okay, let's do a blood test. Under the eye of God and within the boundaries of this local jurisdiction, which we hereby consecrate on this day, the fifth of September, nineteen sixty-five. That's the end of the short form. Do any of the witnesses have objections or remarks? Usually they don't. Scotan. Can we loan them the nickels? I'm worried about their future. That's my fee. What do you think? What I just say, that's my fee. I'm keeping the nickels. Okay, they can have a here. Sign here, initial here, and here. Take the carbon, leave the Bible. Let's go. So, I like that long drawn out with the score. That's very Wes Anderson, right? I'm such a Wes Anderson geek, I like listening to the scores, actually, my Alexa. Uh, It's a motive. there's something going on there, of course, about marriage. Uh, The next one I wanna show you is a little broader spiritual theme. It's from Darjeeling Limited. Darjeeling Limited is a brother buddy movie, uh, and they're on a train in India, and they're looking for a spiritual experience, and of course, they try and plan it and laminate their schedule, which you can't do for a true spiritual experience. And the film's about reconciliation, and I would say finding grace under pressure. And in this scene, we'll see how they're not ready for the grace yet. They haven't located themselves. They still need to find who they are. How can a train be lost? It's on rails. Apparently we took a wrong turn at some point last night. That's crazy. How far off course are we? Nobody knows. We haven't located us yet. What'd you just say? What? What you just said, say it again. We haven't located us yet. Ah! Is that symbolic? We haven't located us yet. Where's those feathers at? In the envelope I gave you this morning. Meet me on top of that thing out there. Trust me. I hired a private detective to track down Mom. She's living in a convent in the foothills of the Himalayas. We'll be there in six days. How was that possible? I guess she became a nun. Apparently, you know what she's like. A nun? Apparently. Did you talk to her? No, I didn't. Does she know we're coming? I think so. How do you know she wants to see us? She probably doesn't. But maybe she does. Why didn't you tell us sooner? Because I'm trying to protect you from all the painful emotions this is probably going to stir up. Well, aren't you kind of doing that right now? <laughs> yeah. I'm scared too. She's obviously suffered some kind of mental collapse and we've got to go get her and bring her back home. Actually, it's in the itinerary, but I put it under TBD. (laughs) (laughs) All right, thanks. Uh, So uh, these are some thoughts as we look at this pastiche, right, of um, adulting. One aspect is family and these are thoughts of one of my students. Uh, College New York, I actually taught an honors seminar where I made them all watch Wes Anderson films. It was great. <laughs> and they, they wrote these wonderful reflections. They actually took the class. Uh, but Catherine points out this, that many of these films, right, involve traditional relationships, familial relationships. If you go Max and his father in Rushmore, Steve and his wife in Life Aquatic, The Fox family, fantastic Mr. Fox. The Whitman brothers from the Darjeeling Limited. However, relationships often go beyond nuclear families. And families are complicated in Wes Anderson, just like in real life. These varied families are comparable to the times for everything explained in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And just as we experience different aspects of life, there are different family units that fit in each particular time or space, families that also had these universal experiences or times for everything. As I've thought about my own family life, oftentimes I can think in terms of Wes Anderson. These chosen families include Sam and Susie. So you have chosen families as well in Wes Anderson, we saw in Moonrise Kingdom here, whose love flourishes despite societal and legal obstacles. You have the crew of the Belafonte in uh, Steve Zizu, who seem to work as a cohesive unit and are closer than Steve's actual family. You have Gustav and Zero in the Grand Budapest Hotel, who lack an actual family, both of them, and become families of vocation in their service. You have long lost family members like Steve and Ned Atari, Isle of Dogs, so you even have with pets. In the way he illustrates the ups and downs of these relationships, it is ultimately impossible to tell which types of relationships or qualities are the best sometimes, which one he values the most, because they're all meaningful to him. Perhaps there is space for all of these things, and they are all inevitable parts of what we seek out in family just as life, death, mourning, weeping, dancing, and any number of other aspects are woven into our lives. Usually the characters, right, are the same people at the end of his films, but changed in little ways. And I've seen that in life as a parish pastor. The change is often not grand, but it's simple. And the simple changes over time become sublime. They've managed to find some way, these characters, to keep going in each other's company. Maybe this is a way of asserting that all familial relationships, all family ties, no matter what the source, chosen or given, are salvageable. I think that's very Wes Anderson, adulting and the complexities of family His family uh, stories are unique. They often involve community. They're whimsical and nostalgic. Uh, And Anderson writes, he playfully combines nostalgia and possibility, nostalgia past whimsy. They're coming of age and growing up. If we go to the next slide here, this is my coming of age movie. The theology of adulthood suggested by Wes Anderson centers in the search Also, not just for family, but for finding our place in the world that we inhabit and imagine. And that's exactly what Max does in Rushmore. It's a theology of desire, it's a theology of growing up. His films are like books, as you see here, if you go to the next one. He loves to read Wes Anderson. Each frame is typed like a perfect page. He started out, like me, using typewriters even. He has chapters and stories and stories within stories, characters from the past and the present. Uh, A theme here uh, is uh, Always Faithful and Glory Fades of Rushmore, if we go to the next one. Uh, Anderson's movies also feature the age of 12 as an access of turning from childhood to adulting. Uh, Anderson's own parents divorced when he was growing up. I think that's a really interesting detail, and he talks a lot about it. And his films, especially like Moonrise Kingdom, focus on that family pain. Moonrise Kingdom is a good one to focus on. We'll get there in a second, but Royal Tenenbaum's is here. Uh, This is a great scene in the Royal Tenenbaums of Resurrection. Uh, In the movie, uh, Royal is a complete uh, deadbeat dad. And he comes back to his family because he's got nowhere else to go uh, in New York City. Uh, And he comes back feigning and faking an illness, a terminal illness. And they discover that actually he's lying and it's a con, just like everything else in his life has been a con and he uh, confronts one of his sons, and he has an epiphany, the family not yet, but he's uh, been lost but then found, or dead but alive. Uh, This illness, this closeness to death, it's had a profound effect on me. I feel like a different person. Dad, you are never dying. Yeah, but I'm going to (laughs) live. It's just a great moment of how grace can work. And the film is really about... I think the forgiveness and repentance of Royal and bringing family back together with that. You know, it's a film about failure, and failure is kind of funny. And in this failure, they actually find wholeness. Um, It's one of his most famous films. Go to the next slide. Darjeeling Limited, of course, is another one we haven't located us yet. Uh, Those are the three brothers. They traverse all throughout India on a train. You know, the end of the film is they actually get on another train. And the joke is it looks like the Darjeeling Limited, but it's got a different name. They're still on tracks, if you will, of their past, but they've let the baggage go. And they're able to trust each other a little bit as they go on the next train of life. Next slide. A great quote from that, I want to make this a spiritual journey where each of us seek the unknown, and we learn about it. Can we agree to that? And then, well, originally, we came here on a spiritual journey, but it didn't really pan out. Uh, And it doesn't. And it's also about failure and forgiveness. Next slide here. The Moonrise Kingdom. It's his seventh feature film. It's inspired by movies on adulting and growing up, Wes Anderson is a huge film buff. If you're interested, you could watch uh, True Foes, 400 Blows, the Apu trilogy uh, from um, the director Ray in India. Uh, There's other films as well, Small Change. Uh, By this point in Anderson's career, right, we've met a cast of characters, we've seen adulting age 12, Uh, we've seen failure frustration, we've seen Max Fisher and Rushmore who struggles with all of that, three spoiled American brothers lost in India, and Moonrise Kingdom envisions an imagined adventure that Wes Anderson dreamed about he said at age 12, and this movie flows from his own imagination that what if he would have run off at 12 with his girlfriend and got married. And it's interesting too that he sets his films in the not so distant past, but far enough where we can have some space in order to see ourselves there as well. Coming to age with one's own age, growing up and falling in love, and coming of age with the past in the present. The film takes place after all in 1965, not long before the summer of love the Vietnam War, who knows what would have happened to Susie and Sam. And this Moonrise Kingdom unfolds the theme of adulting and the desire for authentic community, a fractured family. And in this film, there's some really strong biblical imagery, that's why I'm choosing it. If you know the film right, it really features Noah's Ark. Think of the Ark, Uh, we think of the Ark of the church, an Ark of a family, Formed by not letting go to the church, a community of broken sinners where the kids have to teach the adults. And Sam inquires, famously in the movie, to Susie, What kind of bird are you? And they're playing birds in Noah's Ark. I'm a raven, Susie says. Edgar Allan Poe's raven, right? Nevermore. The meaning, the abyss, the depths of death. Genesis 8, 6 through 7. The raven flies back from nevermore. Flies back and forth on the waters, looking for a solid place to land. Susie and Sam are looking for a place to land on an island in a flood. They're ravenous for a real and loving family like so many. They fly the coop, it says in the movie. They fly back and forth on the island. In the final storm, they ascend to the top of the steeple, waiting to fly away. A Romeo and Juliet ending. We can go to the next slide. Of course, they've been married. They're responsible to each other. It's a lot like Romeo and Juliet. Look into my eyes, do you love each other? We saw this clip. They're not listening to me. But in in the film, the adults aren't listening to them. Go to the next slide. This, I think, is the mantra of the film, don't let go. It's from the very end as they cling to the rope descending from the steeple that's now been struck by lightning, and the lightning is an enlightenment where everyone after seems to have finally grown up a little bit, even the adults. There's a new family. Captain Sharp, aptly named, sharply fastens to Sam and Susie. He forms a new family here with Sam. He's clinging to the church, the only sanctuary of refuge and community in the film, amidst the floods of life, the deluge of hypocrisy, all the broken families. It's a beautiful film. And in the end, life sort of goes on as normal with a lot more grace. Go to the next slide. There's also, uh, there it is at the end, uh, and of course we know the church is not a steeple. We all learned that in Sunday school. (laughs) The church is the people. Uh, And even when it falls on you, right, there's hope, and there's healing. Next slide. Isle of Dogs, Uh, this was uh, designed and created uh, by Wes Anderson, he's a real control freak, you know, you could look at it that way, but a genius. Um, Designed all the puppets here. Uh, Here you have a 12-year-old boy, will you help him, the little pilot, why should I? Because he's a 12-year-old boy. Dogs love that. You know, it evokes friendship, right, another aspect of adulting. A 12-year-old boy and a dog. It's his first dog. And then a stray dog, right, if you know the movie, becomes his family. Like the stray in Sam and Susie in Moonrise Kingdom. They become a family with Captain Sharp. At least Sam does. As Max Fisher from Rushmore teaches, the paths of glory lead but to the grave. Go to the next slide here. Uh, But... Along the way, we could find friendship and we could come together. And that's what makes adulting so beautiful. Uh, Susie and Sam's world, right, is passing away in Moonrise Kingdom. It's told in the present from the past through a narrator in the film. Uh, and we have an author in Grand Budapest Hotel, another film. If you go to a next one slide here. Well, there's all paths lead but to the grave which is a great transition for Grand Budapest Hotel, if you've seen that one. It's one of the more popular films. He said that that film actually had sort of a plot, uh, and he thanks Stefan Zweig, who the film is based on, uh, the author who uh, eventually fled um, the Nazis uh, from Austria all the way to Brazil and uh, committed a double suicide with his wife in Brazil because his world had just fallen apart right in the middle of World War II. He's forgotten about now, but if you want to read a great writer, Stefan Zweig wrote the best chess story uh, I've ever read. And his stories are like Wes Anderson films, not all that original, right? They're stories within a story told by someone finding their way. Uh, And that's what we have here. Uh, You know, in Grand Budapest Hotel, uh, we have this uh, nostalgia and illusion, you can't go back. And the film is very poignant about that. To be frank, I think his world, this is Gustave, had vanished long before he ever entered it. But I will say he certainly sustained the illusion with a marvelous grace. And if you know, he's so graceful in the film, even as he meets his fate. And his fate is to help a refugee find a family. Wes Anderson's film, right, Carry On With Grace, uh, building the life that the characters can, like Moonrise Kingdom. They try to do it. They transport us to a past of orphans and runaways where they find a home, almost like a Dickens world. A broken marriages, like Susie. But they could find healing with a Sam. And you know, I love reading Dickens and did in high school and through college. And I always thought he was so fanciful and this can't be real. And then I started parish ministry, (laughs) and I realize that uh, it just gets weirder and weirder. I think uh, Wes Anderson's films, right, are all about grace under that pressure of adulting. Um, And just a few comments on his last film, a few moments here, Asteroid City. If you haven't seen it, it's really good. Uh, It's about being melancholic, but also finding meaning about being lost in time, about kids and their parents, and parents making their kids overachieve and underachieving. Uh, There's a martini vending machine, which I really like. Uh, There's a grieving and a meandering father who has lost his wife and can't tell his kids that their wife is dead and puts the ashes in Tupperware. There's mention of Episcopalians, there's heaven, there's the cosmic journey of, is there life out there? It's all there. The desert, though, is where he chooses to make this film. And as the book of Numbers adds, the melancholic meanderings of the desert is what refines God's people of old. It refines God's people in scriptural and the existential pattern of death and resurrection and maybe that's what adulting is all about death and resurrection or as Royal Tenenbaum said I'm gonna live first Corinthians 13 11 through 13 when I was a child I spoke like a child I thought like a child I reasoned like a child when I grew up I gave up childish ways. Now we see in a mirror or in an enigma or a puzzle, only dimly. But Paul goes on, right? But then we will see face to face. And now I know in part, and we watch movies which take apart life, and we seek advice in literature. We go to God's word we find the pearl of great value. But then I shall fully know, seeking God's face, we will be sought, even as we are fully known. And Paul says, faith, hope, and love, these three remain, and the greatest of these is love. I think Wes Anderson reminds us as Christians that a theology of adulting is really love under pressure. Love which drives out all fear. Love which finds a way. Love which grows up and fulfills the Torah of God. Thank you. So I think we have a few moments for questions, maybe three or four, any questions you might have? I can repeat them if you've got them. Yes? Okay, so the question is about French dispatch. Did you like it? Yeah, so do you read the New Yorker? Yeah, so if you read the New Yorker, it's his uh, really love letter to the New Yorker. Yeah, I saw that movie when it came out, I think, 10 times in the theater. Uh, yeah, and it gets better and better. Uh, my, my friends who don't like Wes Anderson just think he's like, oh, he's just lost it in this film. <laughs> right? he just, it's so far over the top. I mean, every shot is just so rich and varied, right? And if you actually pause that film and just look at the frames, they're pretty amazing. Um, but no, I think it's a great film. I think the themes in um, French Dispatch um, are... Uh, well, there's a lot. Finding home, right? The editor. Um, I think adulting is there, especially with the second story, um, and uh, the the third one too. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's got that wonderful scene where he's being interviewed, right? About finding a place of belonging. And anywhere he goes, he's found a table, and he's found a bottle of wine, and he's found a home, even as he's a stranger. I think that's just very beautiful. It fits all these themes really well. Yeah, thanks. Another question? All right, uh, thank you very much. Please watch the new Wes Anderson films. They're out on Netflix. Yeah, thanks.